Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of Conspiratorial Conspiring. With me today, I've got Roger Agora from Gnostic.Nihilist on Instagram, and he posts a lot of interesting stuff about anarchism and gets really into the weeds with all of the different terms and stuff where I just know anarchism broadly um, with the objective truth that the state is inherently tyrannical and therefore there should be no state. But if we want to get a little into the weeds and understand some of these concepts better, maybe living in an anarchist society and how that would function and stuff like that, we've got the guy to do it. So without further ado, welcome, Roger. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be on. And these are definitely concepts that uh, need to be fleshed out and especially deconstructed uh, moving forward because, you know, that's what... Uh, People have been ruling and running everything, have been doing, they've been deconstructing and building and um, uh, getting together and having their think tank, so it's uh, time we start doing the same. So let's let's start at the base level. So for, for normies or status that still fall into the two-party duopoly, um, that system is inherently flawed. And... W- we can never we can never make that work or vote for more rights. So if you would expand on that and how the state is just inherently a flawed idea. Well, uh, America was founded by people whose ideology is now known as a classical liberalism. And uh, the basic premise of classical liberalism is, or not the base brand, but the overarching tenet of it is that government is a necessary evil. And um, at that time, that was a revolutionary concept um, because the world was ran by an order of monarchies, essentially. And now we've seen through this uh, so-called American experiment uh, that the anti-federalists who criticized the centralization of power in the federal government were absolutely correct. There was the anti-federalists such as like Samuel Adams and Thomas Paine criticized the U.S. Constitution, its creation of a federal government um, for the for the issue of centralized power. They pointed this issue out in different things like the office of the presidency um, and uh, other aspects as well. Um, I think what we've seen in the past 250 years is the main um, issue of giving Congress far too much power to legislate. They have absolutely no restraints uh, other than what's written in the Constitution as their guide, but it has been shown that they can use that document and twist it to do whatever they want. Lysander Spooner was a famous individualist anarchist from the 1800s. His work is, uh, 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 his main work is called uh, No Treason, a group of essays, a collection of essays. Um, and Lysander Spooner, um, one of the things he said was that whether the Constitution is responsible for granting us any liberties we do enjoy 
it has in fact legitimized the loss of all the liberties that we have have had and obviously that is paraphrasing but the concept is the con the constitution whether it does protect individual freedom or not it certainly that's up for debate it certainly legitimizes tyranny and now as as, as we've uh uh, developing technology and different systems of, of uh, automation and uh, cryptocurrencies and these sort of things there, there it is clear that we can have our own structures and arrangement without centralized apparatuses um, and that the government is not just a necessary evil it is unnecessary and evil um so with the Constitution, I mean, and this is, like, hard, because I listen to this guy, Legal Man. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's utterly fantastic, and uh, he's been a lawyer for, like, the last 30 years, and he just deconstructs all of these, like, constitutional conservative arguments. Like, they're the ones fighting for liberty, the constitutional conservatives, and he's like, that's a limited hangout. He's like, there's no one keeping us enslaved more than the constitutional conservatives, and that's because... Like you were saying, I mean, the Constitution, I mean, everybody just wipes their ass with it. It doesn't, nobody treats it as a document that is inherent and we can't uh, do anything against. And when did the Supreme Court just be, and this is what Legal Man has been talking about a lot lately, when did the Supreme Court come in and just say that they can overrule and override and interpret the constitution like they have the ordained power to do like how how does that even work and then they can make a law that can be overturned later by a different supreme court but i thought they came to an agreement or not even an agreement they can have a 5-4 split like literally like abortion and stuff like that that hinged on a 5-4 fucking split and it's like how could you let broad sweeping changes that affect the entire country come down to nine people and four of them disagree i mean it's completely crazy and the constitution limits our rights to that piece of paper like yeah. you were saying we have so many other rights that aren't a part of the constitution and you know people have always said like why doesn't the constitution say hey no slavery or anything like that and is also the constitution i feel is purposefully it's purposefully like confusing like the second amendment is like the right and will of the free people to hold firearms and an organized militia and like there's all these com commas and people are like well there's a comma there so then that means that they, that it's just militias it's like no it includes militias and the free people and then it's inherently made for this kind of argument yeah the state views it one way and then the people who organize militias look at it a completely different way exactly <laughs> and so i i feel like that's they did it purposefully to confuse us and for these kinds of arguments and for the state to overstep if they really wanted to be like hey if you take guns from the free people then you're going to be hunting the town square i mean that's as black and white as it fucking gets but they yeah. didn't do that they said no the right and will the free people organized militia coming here coming there and then we have this debate for eternity but what i wanted to return to you were talking about spooner 
Um, does he have any thoughts on the Civil War? Like, was he around in that period? Or was it early eighteen hundreds? Um, I it was it was mid eighteen hundreds. I okay. believe his stance on the Civil War was that it should have been avoided and, it, and slavery could have been addressed without the Civil War. Um, I do have to confirm that, though, because another thing that legal he was man a talks big about. critic about slavery and how it is inherently unconstitutional. He has an essay called. Uh, the unconstitutionality of slavery. Um, but I'm seeing when that came out now. Um, what Legal Man says is that the illusion that we had a voluntary union of states that could leave at any point that they wanted to, that they're in a voluntary agreement to all be states together, that is a total fucking farce when you bring up the Civil War. Because... They the the southern states voted to leave. They there wasn't a violent insurrection or anything like that. They were just like, hey, we're done. And whether it was for good purposes or bad purposes doesn't matter. And I know that that's you know like oh slavery was this horrible thing. Yes, it was, but it wasn't all about slavery. I mean, they were being manipulated by the will of the North, and they didn't feel like they're voices were being heard in the union so they voted to leave and then the north came down richard sherman burned up all their fucking crops they killed a bunch of people and they said no you're staying yeah to the fucking ground exactly yeah so (laughs) any illusion that we had a voluntary union of free states that were participating here because they they wanted to be a part of this is complete bullshit the government will make you stay by force well, it's the it's the inherent um, structure of a federation. Um, we went from the the uh, um, the Articles of Confederation to the U.S. Constitution, and the U.S. Constitution is a federation when the uh, the Articles of Confederation were a confederacy, and in a confederacy, it is an actual voluntary union that members can leave at any moment. A federation, all members in the union give up their own sovereignty to the group in certain circumstances it's called qualified sovereignty it means that the 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 entity with qualified sovereignty is the king can do whatever they want within set parameters and that set parameters is the constitution so the federal government has supreme authority to do whatever it wants within the structure of the constitution um, so that's called qualified sovereignty, and uh, that's what the federal government has today, and that's why states cannot secede. Uh, South Carolina was going to secede during Andrew Jackson's presidency when his vice president, John, John C. Calhoun, resigned because Jackson was enforcing tariffs that John Quincy Adams, his rival, created. And uh, his, the vice president, uh, uh, John C. Calhoun, from South Carolina, he was pissed. He quit. And he went back to South Carolina and started talking secession. This was all this in the 1830s. And um, uh, Jackson created, I'm pretty sure it's called the Enforcement Act. He already got Congress to create the Enforcement Act, which allows the federal government to, um, to use its full might against any state that, um, that is going against federal statutes. And... 
so then he, he got that passed and he, he, you know, basically said, you guys aren't leaving and you're paying this tariff. <laughs> and that kind of led up to the Civil War. People think it was about slavery. It was more about tariffs than anything. It really was. Uh, the South was like, yeah, obviously they didn't want slavery to go, but the North didn't give a fuck about slavery going or not. Abraham Lincoln was like a vehement racist. In, in, <laughs> some, of his, in some of his like personal writings and letters, I mean... He'll he'll make a fucking grand wizard of a KKK rally blush. Yeah, I mean he was he was not a good guy. Like everybody, honest Abe, my fucking ass, dude. And the way they manipulate history is another concept. But um, so then we we're in the Civil War, and then we take it all the way up till now. And this is probably with all of the craziness. That's going on right now. This is probably our best opportunity for freedom, and the most people are yeah. open-minded to this message too. Yeah. So, I, how do we begin? Well, I uh, I, I was just uh, um, explaining yesterday on my on my page that uh, ideologically I'm a lot like Renzo Novator, but tactically and strategically I'm like Samuel Bukonkin the Third. Samuel Bukonkin the Third is the founder of Agorism, uh, also known as New Libertarianism. And um, it's, it stresses tactics and strategy. And that's what's so huge about it. Um, it is a playbook for using the freed market or the gray and black markets to take down the state. And um, I, uh, I, I, I'm a big advocate of the, you know, the classic anarchist concept of diversity of tactics. I, like, I would love to see um, agoras and, and, and counter economic self-sustainable communities popping up all around uh, while these smart cities that are, are being built in these in, in, in the in, in, you know all these big cities are happening and then while that all that's going on ancoms just fucking making it shit in those cities starting <laughs> riots destroying shit and fucking so it's like yeah people are gonna see that and they're gonna be like this shit sucks like this is illegitimate like i might as well go <laughs> go join those fuckers talking about the counter economy yeah so that's that's diversity of tactics and that's that's it's anarchist unity and uh, uh i advocate um sam edward conkins um, tactics and strategy laid out in the New Libertarian Manifesto and the Agoras Primer, not for any moral or, or principled reasons, but simply because it's it's the most effective way to take down the state. Um, and I say that because it, Sam Weber Conkin's uh, uh, method of, of anarchist insurrection was, like I said, using gray and black markets, creating self-sustainable communities so the government cannot tax us and create bonds off of us, and do everything they're doing to stay afloat. So on one hand, you're empowering yourself. On the other hand, you're disempowering the state. And um, as that grows, um, it, it's it's essentially just competition of lifestyle. And um, um, like I said, there's diversity of tactics involved with, with other anarchists doing their um, insurrectionary methods like ANCOM should also be, you know, taking over the automation the factories that are coming to season means of production because they love doing that shit. <laughs> and um, the uh, there's no one way forward. This like there's no one way for anybody to live. Um, 
everybody uh, like like even leaving ANCAPs with all my gripes with them I hope that they get all these conservatives to get radicalized so these conservatives start forming like you know their 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 QAnon uh, uh, ISIS gangs like because <laughs> <laughs> we like the the uh, this the the people who are at the top of this world hierarchy understand order out of chaos and a lot of agorists like uh, uh, Derek Bros and John Bush understand the uh, this to a certain degree at the very least with their work doing with the greater reset like there there are constitutionalists who understand what's going on to a certain degree with world government all these sorts of things and their initial reaction is to defend the constitution because they see it's it's being dismantled and in my opinion that's a completely wrong approach if it, the constitution is being dismantled okay let's take advantage of that um let's use that for our ends if they're trying to have a great reset well that's 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 pretty awesome because we can on some judo shit um, turn this into a greater reset in which we um, create our order out of the chaos. Um, and uh, so I guess your specific question, or your question was more specific as far as tactics and strategy. Um, it's, uh, I guess the main point I want to get across is it's, it's important to have um, anarchists of all different uh, stripes doing their um, specific insurrectionary praxis um, their own way um, and it's in all of our best interest to um, form you know mutual defense packs and coordinate our efforts as as, uh, as much as it benefits us to do so um, we're already seeing uh, this stuff pop up as far as on the Agora side of things, people building communities outside of these, uh, what are, what are going to become the smart cities. Um, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing ANCOMs whenever they get the chance going out and destroying shit. <laughs> right? Um, so we're seeing all these things unfold. There's a age old, uh, anarchist, um, axiom, I suppose it's, um, uh, organize, educate, agitate. And right now, that's 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 kind of where we at, where we are at is organization, agitation, and education. Um, those three things, however, however you can get it in. <laughs> so, with like a practical matter is just going to the farmers market. That is an anarchist act in itself because you're buying from the community. You're not relying on the government subsidized stores like Walmart and Target and all of the big box stores. You're just buying from your local farmers, your local community. And that's in a sense like what we're pushing for and building your own garden. Once you develop the knowledge and the skills and the resources, then you can start doing that stuff and you decrease your reliance on state on the state, which disempowers them because then they don't have that over your head. And like for an example, I got in a bunch of trouble at work for not wearing a mask. Three times I was told and then they said that they were going to take it to corporate and it was just one fucking manager. And I was just like, well, fuck, like I got rent, I got car insurance, I got my car payment, I got the phone bill. And I'm just like, I got so much reliance on all of these things right now that I can't afford to lose the job. So now I'm in this existential crisis where do I keep 
being me, not wearing the mask, being free, you know, being able to breathe, um, or do I just put the damn thing on so I can keep making that paycheck and being a wage cuck, and uh, then I can make my payments. But the then you don't have to have say you have no payments. Maybe you have rent, but you can get out of rent if you pay everything. If you have everything paid off, then you more likely to be like. Fuck you, Isaac. Bring it to corporate. I don't give a fuck. Right. Like fire my ass. I have. I'm. I'm a free man. I don't have any payments. And if you have that kind of ability, where you have some land, you have you're growing the food. You got chickens and pigs and cows and such. Then doesn't matter. You can be as radical as you want. You could do whatever you want because there's no one's got a control structure over your head that's looming. That prevents you from doing what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. And that's what anarchism is really all about at its at its core. Max Stirner, the uh, um, creator of the uh, egoism brand of anarchism, um, his idea of freedom was that freedom is the will to be responsible for oneself. And with being responsible for oneself comes a great degree of liberty. You can do whatever you want, essentially, when you provide for yourself and you don't worry about um, uh, any other man's business for you to eat, to survive, to get to where you want to go, to do the things you want to do. And Max Turner even said, uh, he even, I just didn't say, he acknowledged that um, egoism isn't, isn't um, an ideology that's really for everyone. It's for those who have a, 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 a fire, a will to uh, to be free, to be able to do what they will, because um, you can only do that with a degree of responsibility, and that's the main reason why I've been going uh, so hard on wage cucking recently. Because we we can't take take down the state while everybody is an employee. We need people to 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 not just change their minds, but then change their actions afterwards. Um, if 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 the Libertarian Party can convince somebody that the state is evil. But then all they're doing is working nine to fives and voting. Nothing is going to get done. But if you know people can, re if people read the, something like the New Libertarian Manifesto and see strategy and tactics that are not only um, uh, clearly useful in taking down the state, but um, clearly beneficial to the individual to do so in their own life. It, it, things like is one of the things Sam Weber Conkin advocated was independent contracting over employment. Um, the main reason was it because it, it uh, negates all other transaction costs that may be imposed like taxation. And when you do a W-2 or whatever, W-4, and you're an employee, there's obviously the transaction costs of the taxes being taken out of your check when it comes to you. Um, and independent contracting is a clear example of being able to get around that transaction cost. but. The point is, it, it it grants you a degree of freedom, uh, independent, and not just in the sense of the transaction costs. You're not having money taken from you, but if I'm independent contracting, like a move job as a mover, I can I can take breaks when I want. If I'm getting exhausted and I'm like I'm, I'm I gotta take a break here, there's it is it is impossible to tell me not to do that. The contractor can of course let you go, but but that's the difference between um, the, the authority of independent contracting versus the authority 
of being a wage employee is when you're a wage employee, you're not contracting your labor, you're contracting your time. You're getting paid for your time and you're, during your time, you're given specific tasks that you have to do. And so then you're granted two 30 minute breaks. And if you've used your two 30 minute breaks, you can be reprimanded for taking a piss. And if you can't take a piss when you want to, you're not free. Um, so you're certainly not free if you can't take a piss when you want to. And your whole life is in, in some other people or another group or organization's hands. And so um, that's where uh, uh, um, I kind of, I kind of uh, see a marriage between Max Stirner's egoism and Samuel Rukonkin's egoism where these, this praxis, this, these actions that Sam Rukonkin laid out are simply just in our best interest to go do. And the collective good, the greater good is that it's a clear path forward to taking down the state, which is also in our best interest. <laughs> and uh, I saw something on your Instagram that I've been thinking about ever since. And it was the only right you have is the right to free will. All other rights are contractual. Yeah. I'm just like, shit. I'm like, I've, I've never thought about it that way. I'm just like, that is... Uh, who? Where did you get that one from? I mean, like, who who spouts that? Well, um, it's it's very in line with uh, uh, Max Sterner. What he was saying, I'm okay. kind of just rewording it in a more palatable way because he explained it. It's the right of might. Um, that's the only right that exists, and the only other rights that exist from, from contract. And um, what he means by might is like my my ability. I have the right to to pick up my phone that's sitting on this table right now because I have the might to pick up the phone. So I have the right to do that. Um, this is, this is true natural law. It's, it's what the, the universe, um, permits us and limits us from doing. And so, um, uh, with intrinsic with your, your, uh, it, it, it are really kind of, a, uh, interchangeable terms is, um, the will or will and and might your will to do something is what drives might and um whether that's for for freedom liberty or, or enslavement or otherwise it is it is the essence of the driving uh or, or it is the um uh the essence of the action that that if it can exist then it will that's kind of the idea of, of uh or one of the ideas of, of chaos theory or quantum mechanics um, uh, theory, really. And um, that's, it's, I, I really try to tie in the, the science of, of quantum mechanics and metaphysics into um, understanding these uh, 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 concepts of, of free will and, and, and might, because it's all reality. And we've never had a science like quantum mechanics um, observing subatomic particles and how they behave. And as soon as we start to do this, we really see quite um, uh, maddening things like uh, the way photons are uh, manipulated by observation. So why, uh, to, to bring it back to the original point, why I'm explaining this is because you have free will and 
that can't be taken from you and that is um, uh, 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 the action of free will is might and any sort of other rights or, or um, whether it be human rights or property rights or the right to water or land or the right to have private property that you acquired through voluntary means, all of those things only exist when there's an observer, uh, as quantum mechanics puts it, collapsing the waveform. There needs to be someone there observing it and agreeing it and believing it and acting it for it to be part of reality. And so in reality, the only real rights is the right for you to act upon your consciousness. Everything, and this is the sense of psychological egoism, um, is that every, every action, everything that everybody does, they only do to satisfy their consciousness. Whether it's, it's something horrid or something beautiful, people are satisfying their consciousness. Uh, whether they acknowledge this fact or not, whether they're a philosophical egoist or not, everybody is a psychological egoist. Because ego is just the Latin word for I. Ego is just another word for consciousness. It kind of has a negative connotation nowadays, but... Dissolving the ego is a big thing in uh, like the New Age spiritual movement. Yeah, and it's it's... It has uh, a lot of its its roots in Buddha, Buddhism in the sense that that you know the Four Noble Truths states that um, ignorance is the root of all suffering, and Buddha frames ignorance in the sense of it you being ignorant that all is one, which I do agree with all this. I just I just disagree with the uh, with the uh, application that most people have of this. Um, I understand Hermeticism like the second. Uh, uh, hermetic principle is is as above so below it's the law of correspondence that is you it's all microcosm and macrocosm that observing stars is essentially the same thing as observing cells which is essentially the same thing as observing atoms it's all as above so below microcosm macrocosm and all is one but if you are part of that then then you are all and you being a full individual being completely unique onto yourself is is embodying oneness getting rid of all qualities and making you know giving up your name and 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 trying to dissolve the ego as you put it um i think that goes against our inherent nature which is qualitative which is qualities and it's the idea is to is not to 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 um shut yourself off from certain parts of yourself it's to merge all the different parts of yourself that's how you become whole. You, you merge your traumas with your understanding so you understand why you do certain things in certain scenarios compulsively. That's you know, bringing light to the dark. It's making the, the subconscious conscious. This is all analytical psychology or Jungian psychology. And um, uh, that, that's, uh, that's what, um, um, in my opinion, in, in true freedom, I explained Max Stirner's take on earlier. This is what my opinion of true freedom really is, is and center knowledge as well, but it's the lack of limitations. And it's not simply limitations that are externally imposed. We're also talking internally imposed limitations as well. Like if you live in a completely free, I use this example a lot, if you live in a completely free society where you can do whatever you want and no one is going to hurt you or anything for, for you doing what you want, 
even if you live in that society, if you're at a bar in that society and there's a girl you want to talk to, but you have anxiety from your past about women and you have a fear of going, going and introducing yourself or whatever, but you have the will to do that, well, then that's a self-imposed limitation that's, or an internal limitation. That's um, your anxiety. You can't be free with fear. Um, you can't be free with anxiety. You can't, if, if you, if you have the will to, to go and, 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 and enjoy life, which all of us, I think do inherently, uh, but you can't do that because you're depressed about certain things. Well, you're certainly not free. Um, so, so freedom is a, is, is a two way street of internal and external. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that, that, um, uh, requires, you know, uh, uh, internal introspection, or I said that's redundant. It, it requires introspection to uh, truly be free, and this is why I appreciate Max Stirner's egoism as a you know anarchist ideology, as opposed to Murray Rothbard's anarcho-capitalism, which is just completely centered around economics and human action. There comes a time where philosophy, completely philosophical matters, completely trump economic matters. Economics means human action, or at least according to the uh, Austrian school of economists that ANCAPs are, anarcho-capitalists. That's the yellow and black flag. Um, uh, it's, it's completely a focus on economics. There's no, no um, understanding of the self, the ego, the I, um, and, and human nature involved. It's simply human action as far as like how people buy and sell and trade and there comes a time where where the greater good of the economy could be against your individual good and and anarcho-capitalists claim to be individualists but how can you be an individualist if the individual should submit their will to the economy <laughs> it make it, it doesn't make sense um the uh 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 you know I guess what I'm going to now is the, the truest form of, of individualism is, is a process of individuation. And that's, you know, tr tr being truly free is being a full, being a true individual. Um, it's what Aleister Crowley was talking about with Philema. It's what Carl Jung was talking about with his psychology and its analytical psychology or what he called the individuation process. It's what the alchemists of old talked about with the magnum opus of turning lead to gold. It's bringing light to darkness. It's, it's making the subconscious conscious, being aware of what was unaware. Um, that's what all these different ideologies are about. And they're a lot of them. This, that's my real foundation for any sort of, of political or apolitical or anarchistic um, philosophy is these sort of... Uh, um, uh, individualistic principles because um, I think that it's that's real natural law. Real natural law is not what um, uh, uh, the the uh, I'm I got, uh, I'm I'm forgetting the main Christian. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Aquin Aquinas or Aquinas or something. The uh, Christian philosopher who pretty much put together natural law as we know it today. Um, that it's not intrinsic. That's not what it is. What's intrinsic is the seven hermetic principles. That's real natural law, and really the only immutable ones. The first three, all is mind. Everything is mental. The universe is a mental experience. Um, this is if if you don't like spirituality, you want to see these things from a more scientific perspective. 
check out um, uh, the holographic universe idea. It's the same thing. Everything is really a mental projection. You need an observation to have an observer and you need an observer to have an observation. You need front to have back, just like you need self to have other. Um, and then the, the second hermetic principle is correspondence. I already kind of got into that a second ago of, of microcosm and macrocosm, atoms and stars or, or reflections of each other. Um, and um, uh, the third one being vibration. Everything vibrates, nothing rests. That is what's immutable. Those are the, the, the foundations of reality. And I'm talking about dreams, too. Your dreams follow those three immutable principles. Your dreams don't follow the, the, the laws of thermodynamics, but they certainly follow the first three hermetic principles. And if we're going to talk about natural law, if we're going to talk about any sort of basis for reality that, that is objective, it's this sort of idea that, that it, the universe is a mental experience, that all is mind. And that, that, is, that is the one truth, and that can be expressed in many ways. Buddhists express it their way, Hindu express it their ways, but, but I like the uh, hermetic way of expressing it, that it's all mind. Because then it really stresses the importance of things like psychology and understanding the human psyche, whether we're talking about economics, anarchy, um, uh, how to move forward in, in, in dealing with the state. We have to understand the human mind. Uh, Carl Jung made this point when he was alive in this interview. It's real interesting. He said, there is no atom bomb. He said, there is no atomic bomb. There is only the mind. There's only the psyche. Men create these things. Without men to press the code, it would never be launched, even if it's in existence. Um, so the only threat, the only danger, the only uh, uh, thing in existence, really, is the human mind. There's nothing existed. Or I, I guess I should say the human mind, but the mind in general, this concept of the psyche, to, to, to kind of um, uh, wrap that thought up a little bit, um, Carl Jung taught that consciousness isn't just awareness. You can have um, a, a device, like a motion sensor that's aware of things, um, but to Jung that wasn't consciousness. Um, Consciousness was aware awareness, being aware of awareness. Only humans can be aware of awareness. Even animals, they're not aware of the things that they're experiencing, or they're, they're not aware of their awareness. They're, they, they're operated, they're ran by impulses, instincts, intuition. And they're not consciously thinking of or rationalizing any sort of uh, uh, of those impulses or awareness. Only humans have consciousness in the Jungian sense, in the idea of consciousness being aware awareness. You can have AI that's certainly aware, but it will never be aware of its awareness. And so um, uh, he said then there's the subconscious, which can be divided into two parts. The personal subconscious and the collective subconscious. The personal subconscious being the memories and experiences that have imprinted your life that you're not aware of, that you can remember, recall, and that influence your, your impulses. Um, usually this is trauma more than anything, but nostalgia in the same way. Um, but then 
the collective subconscious, this is where it gets really interesting, is to Jung, the collective subconscious was literally everything else that I, everything else that what in the universe that I, that isn't what I just mentioned. So I'm looking at a table right now. This table is part of my subconscious mind. Um, when when it, all, all of the lights, all of the, the stimuli, all the experiences, everything that is not your personal subconscious and your conscious mind is the subconscious mind. Everything is psyche. And um, that, that's, very, that's very Eastern in, in, in thought, really. But when we get down to uh, the, the esoteric teachings of the West, it's, there's no distinction between the East and West. The mysteries are the mysteries. Uh, Jungian psychology is alchemy. It is, Thelema is alchemy. They're all the same thing. It's becoming a full individual. It's becoming your truest, wholest self without any limitations. Um, with those philosophies, as mentioned, mainly internally imposed ones. Um, but this is this is the the part that I really want to get across to anarchists is if we're truly going to be free, we have to be free from ourselves and not just from ourselves. If we're truly going to be free, we have to be free from these traditions and dogmas and and um, as Sterner put it, spooks that have been ruling over our minds for far far too long. There's a lot there. Oh yeah, <laughs> we covered a lot of different topics. <laughs> Uh, in the beginning of that, you referenced might. Now, normies, when they're getting introduced to anarchism, you know, first after we get past the usual, well, who's going to build the roads? We get, well, what if a roving gang of marauders comes to my land and they just take all my shit and kick my ass or kill me yeah. and kill my family and, and take all my shit? And so when they think of anarchism, they think of might making right. So is that, is, is Sterner also along those lines where it's like, yeah, I mean, if that is their will to do that in that society, then that, you know, I guess just have better defense mechanisms or yeah. something. Well, this, like is, this is the concept is... Um, it's not necessarily might makes right because right is a spook. <laughs> right is different to everybody. My right is different from your right. So, um, a a any sort of social construct has never really stopped a roving band of bandits. What stops roving band of bandits is your ability to defend yourself. Um, and so, egoists don't. We don't advocate this idea that might makes right or that the only right is the right of might we simply acknowledge that this is how the universe works if the lion wants to bite into the gazelle if it's hungry it will do so and the gazelle's only chance is to run away so use its might to get away and so um, might doesn't necessarily mean I, I use the example i have the might to pick up my phone like you have the might to lift weights it doesn't necessarily mean imposing your ability to do something on others it could mean imposing your ability. It really means imposing your ability to do what you want onto the world because you're always going to get some sort of resistance. So your, your might is your ability to is is you doing what you will, be it some sort of parasitic or symbiotic thing. Um, I was a uh, uh, Benjamin R. Tucker is a famous uh, anarchist from the 1800s. He 
um, uh, was a mutualist. That's the uh, the orange and black anarchist ideology. Um, mutualism uh, being the ideology that's based upon occupancy and use property rights at its foundation. Uh, so uh, use it or lose it type property rights. Mm. Uh, he converted to Max Stirner's egoism later on in life, and um, he uh, um, uh, had. I, there's a quote from him uh, that he had from a letter uh, from him to uh, uh, one of his friends, um, and I'm uh, pulling it up now. Uh, the the uh, this is the quote. I am the same, and this is again from Benjamin R. Tucker, and this is written in 1927. He said, "I am the same egoist as always. The egoism of Germany does not disturb me, given the Germans' domineering instincts. I am glad they have no scruples about satisfying them, and my answer to their brutality would be to slay them as speedily and as quickly as possible and put them forever out of the way, in order that other egoists of another type." who love peace and liberty may enjoy their preferences undisturbed. So the, the point is there are, there are egoists who we're all, we're all egoists in our core. I explained philosophical, or I'm sorry, um, psychological egoism before that everything that anybody does, they do it to satisfy their consciousness. Um, and so there are those of us who acknowledge this fact and call ourselves egoists, and there are those of us who enjoy peace and freedom, and there are those of us who enjoy tyranny and enslavement. Um, uh, Nietzsche, like Benjamin R. Tucker, that same guy, he wrote about Nietzsche saying that he, he says a lot of, of um, anarchist things, but he was no anarchist. Um, and, and that's true. Nietzsche hated the state. He criticized the state a lot, but... Um, he he didn't advocate for for any sort of like uh, no ruler, non hierarchical um, organization structure. Um, he still he still advocated the uh, the uh, uh, use of hierarchies and the might to form them. Um, so you know Nietzsche's egoism is a lot different from Stirner's egoism. Stirner's egoism was focusing on that it's inherently in everybody's interest to not have any bosses. It's inherently everybody's interest to live for themselves and, 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 and um, uh, uh, organize themselves. And he referred to as a union of egoists as a, as a, um, uh, a substitution for any sort of state structure. But a union of egoists could be as simple as as, as a book club or guys going to the bar every weekend. You know, you don't have to go to the bar that weekend. You have no obligation to do so, but you do it because you enjoy it. You do it because it's in, you, you, it pleases you. And so this is, you shouldn't be participating in mutual aid because you have some sort of moral obligation to do so. You should be doing it because you like helping people. You shouldn't be following the non-aggression principle because it's some intrinsic part of reality that you have an obligation to not aggress upon people you should follow the non-aggression principle because it's kind of a dick move to hurt people and steal steal their shit then it makes you feel bad <laughs> so if, if we're gonna go to the egoism thing it's basically what makes it feel good and what makes it feel bad i mean you know to a psychopath it might ultimately 
feel good to hurt someone, but if you're hurting people, then eventually people are going to hurt you, yeah. which is going to make you feel bad. Yeah, almost all humans have empathy. Those that of us that don't are, are known as uh, uh, you know psychopaths and sociopaths, whatever. Um, property norms and and non-aggression principle and 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 uh, morality has never stopped a sociopath or a psychopath from killing somebody. The only things that stop those people from doing those things are is your ability to defend yourself. And I think it's real important that we acknowledge these truths because that's the only way we can form fucking organic unions is if we acknowledge like, I don't have to, I, there's no, I have no obligation not to steal from you. If I don't steal from you, it's because I'm choosing to, I value your company, I value you as an individual, I have empathy and um, I'm doing what I perceive is the right thing because I wish to do it, not because I have an obligation to do so. If somebody's only doing the right thing because they have an obligation to do so, as soon as they realize they have no obligation, they have free will, they can do whatever they want, they're probably going to go ahead and just start stealing shit. <laughs> so I'd rather um, meet people on that, that former level of, of, of knowing that we don't we can do whatever we want, but we choose to do um, things in a, in a non-hierarchical, anarchistic fashion where we're not ruling over each other because we enjoy that. I don't want to be an anarchist because it's the right way, because it's the morally correct way. It's because I don't like being told what to do, and I don't like telling others what to do. <laughs> and that's most of us, I feel like. But then we get in all these head games of right and left and Trump or Biden and all this bullshit that we can't see the forest from the trees and where we really just all fundamentally want to be live and let live. And, you know, you were talking about hermetic principles and Aleister Crowley if we want to start moving into a Gnostic direction, because I definitely have my criticisms of Freemasonry as an institution and as a practice, and obviously Aleister Crowley. I mean, there's uh, Jason Horsley. Um, he's gone through Al Aleister Crowley's writings and d documentation and stuff like that. And like a lot of people who subscribe to Aleister Crowley's beliefs say, oh, like all of his... Uh, his writings where he was abusing children and stuff like that. Like that's all metaphor and stuff like that. And I know that there was one where he was like, you know, in five minutes I could, I could kill a, a thousand children or something like that. It's like, if you take that face value, it's like, Oh my God, he's killing thousands of children. It's like, uh, that's bullshit. He's talking about jacking off because you know, as soon as he fucking goes, I mean, there goes a thousand kids, whatever. So, but I mean, there are there is real documentation that Aleister Crowley was um, engaging in pedophilic practices, and um, then you want to take it from a spiritual perspective. I mean, trying to create like a homunculus or antichrist through the process of gay anal sex i mean there's no other way to say it he wanted men i mean the ultimate abomination in alistair crowley's mind was the anal birth from a man and another man co-creating uh, uh an, an entity that would be birthed through the anus of a man and so through those perspectives 
I look at Alistair Crawley and I'm just like, what a piece of shit. <laughs> and then he all, but you know, he's got the famous saying, do as thou wilt. And that falls right into like the egoism camp. So where I come to a crossroads is, I mean, probably the age old thing where it's separate the art from the artist. He can be a piece of shit, but he could also provide something useful and beneficial in terms of philosophy. Yeah, I mean, most of Crowley's work is more scientific than anything. Like he has the book, uh, the uh, magic in in theory and practice, and his work like that is 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 clearly extremely. It's scientific. It's mathematical, and it's it's he's getting into these um, uh, uh, esoteric and spiritual. Um, uh, things that Masons have been keeping behind closed doors for generations upon generations that Crowley was just talking just screaming the shit from mountaintops basically um, I personally haven't seen any documentation to prove that Crowley was participating in pedophilia I certainly don't doubt it I'd look into um, Jason Horsley he's he's the one I don't I don't have it off the top of my head but he he got in a big argument with um uh, who's that? I can't remember now, but he was talking about it with Alex Sakaris on his show, Skeptico. Um, so it, to follow up, you know, check into Jason Horst. Yeah, definitely, see. definitely. Yeah. I, I absolutely will. Um, like he, he, uh, a lot of Crowley's rituals, they they mention the use of blood, but they clarify that that there is different blood from uh, different sources, and they a, a, they have different potency um so uh, uh, like menstrual blood is used in rituals animal blood is used in other ones um and uh i'm i'm sure that other ones mention more esoterically or metaphorically human blood um i doubt he i don't think he ever said straight up this one requires the blood of a baby um Mm -hmm. but i'm sure that there is uh some some nod to that i wouldn't doubt it um, I think the, uh, the, the important part to acknowledge is, is anything that, that Crowley did, um, it was him in his attempts to, um, in, in his own path to, uh, understand all parts of the psyche and, I don't care what anyone says. I don't care if you're if what school of thought you're coming from. You have a shadow. The devil exists within you. Satan is inside of you, and um, uh, whether you let it come out or whether you shut it out, um, uh, the shadow is real. We all have a Saturnian side to us, and Crowley to understand the universe, understand magis, ma- magic, um, really dived into that shadow. And I don't advocate that everybody um, uh, embrace the beast as much as he did, declaring it his mission to, to be uh, uh, the, the beast 666. But um, there is absolutely something to be said about, at the very least, not shutting out those parts of your mind. Because like Carl Jung said, I didn't come here to be good. I came here to be whole. Or he said, like, I'd rather be whole than, I, than good. Um, if you're good, you're not whole. You can't be a you can't be a whole individual. You can't be a true individual, complete self, without 
integrating the parts of your own shadow to your conscious mind, to your, to your, to your rational um, ego. And um, nothing, I don't think there, there, there's few things more detrimental to the psyche than um, uh, uh, trying to shut out the shadow from the self. Um, because you're, you're, it's, it's inherently, um, it's, 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 it is in fact a part of all of us and it's inherently, um, cutting off a piece of yourself when you do that. And why I'm saying this is because, um, that's the, the, the place that people are coming from when we, when we see Crowley and, and, and these allegedly horrible things, these things that he did that he allegedly did that were, if he did do, in fact, horrible. Um, uh, it's, it's coming from a place of fear. You should have no fear even of, the, of, of the, the, the most deepest, darkest, depraved madness of the world. Um, you should be able to look face to face at it, watch it, look at it staring back at you and then understand um, uh, your psyche even deeper and the whole universe deeper through doing so. Is there, and maybe I just want, I just need some clarification. Do you, in fact, believe that there is objective morality or are those also spooks? No, I have my own morals and they're mine and nobody else can have them but me. <laughs> so, so is murder inherently bad absolutely not is there so there's no karmic effect for killing another person or uh, weight on your soul or karma or what have you not in the eastern sense i don't believe at all and karma in the sense of causation i do think so but karma in the sense of some sort of uh spiritual accounting system that that you're going to um have to repay back that energy um, from putting it out, uh, that's not true. There is causation where there is a level of, of you get what you give, but all is mine. The only causation is not is not immutable. What is immutable is is mentalism, is um, uh, cause I mean, a correlation as above so below, and vibration. Everything vibrates. Those are what's immutable. You, a lot of hermeticism and alchemy is using the higher laws against the lower laws um, through, through, through uh, um, uh, projection, you can escape karma. If I can change the way photons behave by observing them, I can change the way karma behaves by projecting my own view, my own understanding onto the universe. Because the one truth is that it's all mine, which means that it could all be truth and it's all not truth at the same time. Um, Assassin's Creed ended up taking this quote, but it was originally uh, from this, uh, the, I forget his name, the guy who made Discordianism, or, or what's known as Chaos Magic, uh, that, that nothing is true, all is, everything is permitted. Everything is both equally as true as it is untrue. And, and uh, uh, the, the, the root of that is uh, this, this concept of mentalism, that everything is mine, that, that nothing exists outside of the psyche. And... Um, is, uh, is the mind, like, etheric, do you think? Or are, are we talking materialistic, where when the lights go out, 
I mean, that's the cessation of your universe? Well, when I say mind, I'm referring to the conscious, personal subconscious, and collective subconscious all as one. So when I said that the conscious is aware awareness, the personal subconscious is your own experiences, memories, and traumas, and then the collective subconscious is everything else. Um, I literally mean everything else, like this microphone that we're speaking into, our voice being played back on a recording to people listening to this podcast later. We are a part of your subconscious mind, you listening to this. Um, this is this is your subconscious mind manifesting this experience right now. And um, so I, I, I also forgot the question or the statement. <laughs> But um, like when you die, oh, does, what, what does my, your mind carry on? Um, I, I my my understanding is that the um, I, I I I this is this is like the most age old question that there is. Uh, I yeah. kind of take a more uh, uh, not not really Platonic. I like what I like. I, no, it wasn't Plato. I think it was Socrates. Um, yeah, it was Socrates who said who who understood this. He was the one who. Uh, was sentenced to death in Athens, and um, uh, or really he was he was exiled from Athens. They wanted to kick him out of Athens, Socrates, and so he was like, "I'm not gonna leave. Uh, I'm staying here." And then they were like, "Okay, if you're not if you don't leave, we're gonna kill you." So then they locked him up, and he had the chance to escape. His father was like, you know, broke in and was like, "Yo, let's go. We got a boat and everything." Um, and he was like, "No, I'm staying. I'm gonna drink this this poison that they're gonna give me and make me drink. I'm doing. I'm gonna do it willingly. I want to do it because." I'm uh, 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 confident I've been teaching. I'm confident in my teachings. I've been teaching for a long, long time now, essentially a whole life, that when I die, either it will be oblivion and my consciousness is reset to a new, um, or I go to uh, Olympi- Mount Olympus and, and, and uh, greet the gods and, and live eternally with the gods. Um, now, I don't agree with Socrates in the, in the specifics of going living on with the gods, but I do think it is either an A or B type thing. Either it's some sort of oblivion where your conscious mind and your personal subconscious mind are reset and just the energy is then recycled back into the universe through you know, conception and birth. Um, I personally don't think that we retain any uh, I, I guess I just I, I don't think I lean more towards the idea that we don't retain any of our conscious or personal subconscious aspects of ourselves from life to life I think it's just the energy more or less that's recycled um, but it is it is it is possible that that the personal subconscious aspects of ourselves that our memories are stored within our DNA and get transferred from lifetime to lifetime in some sort of level and uh, this this manifests in certain aspects of our personality. That's that's of course very possible, um, and in that sense, though, I would still say it's it's the conscious mind is always getting reset. Though, like you go you, you go to sleep at night and you wake up, your conscious mind reset. Mm-hmm. Um, so on some level, there is some sort of of a new some sort of, of formation of a new. The energy can't be destroyed. That's indisputable, um, but. Your awareness isn't the whole energy, really. It's 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 a, a trinitarian part of, of the conscious, the personal subconscious, the collective subconscious. That's your whole itself, really. So there's there's this uh, doctor that I particularly like when it comes to stuff like this, and his name's Doctor Raymond Moody, and he does NDEs and near death experience, mm-hmm. and 
he's done like over chronicled over 80 cases of people who have passed by every objective standard no heartbeat no brain function completely dead sometimes for hours at a time and then in one way or another were resuscitated and over 80 of them have all came back and said that you know when they passed over there was a life review where they went through each scenario that they had really ever been in and saw it from the other person's point of view. So when you wrong someone, you feel the pain that of you wronging that person that they had felt. And that's how you learn this uh, um, uh, benevolence or understanding you know, true empathy, you know, because God is supposedly this all empathic, or at least in the the Christian sense or the Abrahamic religions that, you know, he's this all powerful, all empathic, caring, benevolent um, entity. But, you know, you want to go back to hermeticism? Well, if the devil's within you, then that means God is also within you. So during the life review, when your soul is going through this, you're learning that empathy and upgrading your mind or spirit or whatever you want to call it. So then when you come back in whatever form, then your upgrade. And I'm I'm wondering if there is an end an end game. Are you just constantly upgrading, coming back, coming back, acquiring more skills and, and building upon that repertoire? Or Well that's really like the a, a very uh, neoplatonic way of looking at it or platonic way of looking at it that that um, because Plato and, and Platonists taught that that you are reincarnated through life and you have uh, uh, when the soul is created initially you have a daemon that follows you that follows you it's d-a-e man it's not meant to be uh, 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 malicious or, it just means spirit it right? just means spirit yeah. yeah and then as you go throughout your different life cycles incarnations then eventually you start working with an angel then an archangel and then your god and then whatever the Greek pantheon god was, and then um, uh, you go. I, I believe the concept is then you you go live with the gods, um, and so I uh, I a big issue that the Neoplatonists in like two, around two hundred A.D. Um, three hundred A.D. had with the Gnostics around that time was that Gnostics um, taught about. Um, uh, there kind of kind of like it's very hindu in thought the uh, like immediate mutkia immediate liberation immediate um uh uh salvation um that it, it it you didn't need to go throughout multiple different lifetimes of of of, of honing your spirit and becoming a a as you put upgrading um that that you can reach the highest upgrade with this thing called gnosis, a deep understanding of the the principles of reality, um, 
it's the first of which being the hermetic bridge splits it's no it, all is mind it's it's very similar to the four noble truths everybody describes these things in different ways um but uh, uh i i personally resonate with the, with the gnostic and hermetic ways of explaining it the most um the uh the, uh, the, the once once you have this this true understanding and then you you act upon it that all is one that the the concept of the, the the traditional christian idea of the almighty god being all good is impossible that makes no sense how could an almighty good god create a being of 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 pure evil um that may uh, because he's almighty okay well that would make him not all good if he could create a being of all evil so the highest being the supreme being the the source of all consciousness has to be both light and dark. It has to be both good and evil. It has to be both uh, God and the devil. And Which is, is Lucifer, right? I so um, Lucifer. I I listen to a lot of these uh, occult practitioners who practice um, mainly with demons and such. And we can get into discussion on like what those are because I I believe that they're entities and you can conjure them with ritual and stuff like that. Um, but when I listen to these guys talk, you know, they talk about Lucifer like he's he's both you know not like the ruler of hell, but he's. He's got both sides. He's got the light and he's got the dark. Because he was an angel and now he's in hell or whatever. Or he he's flip sides. He's playing for a different team. So he's got both. But they they say that Belial, I mean, he's like completely dark. He is like there's no light in him. Um, Tyler Joseph was the one that was saying this. Which I want to track down and talk to him. But where was I going with that? We were talking about God made a being of complete evil, but like mm-hmm. Lucifer was was a uh, light and dark, so he was an angel at first. But then that presupp- or that messes up with God being all knowing, because if God created Lucifer and didn't know that he was eventually going to turn on him and then become the devil or whatever and go to go to hell and take a third of the angels with him, which I recently have been thinking a lot about because a third of the angels, you mean 33%? Like, there we go. Mm-hmm. Again, like, another 33. Right. So, and then that is where I feel like a lot of people draw the satanic comparisons with Freemasonry and um, all of that stuff because of the whole... Luciferian thing where it's like he's the light bringer and all this stuff. Well, this is where my understanding is a little different. I kind of go with the because you know, identifying these uh, non corporeal beings that we, we read in these texts into different you know forces and entities is uh, the identification aspect is rather hard. Um, but my understanding is I go with the understanding that uh, Lucifer is essentially Venus. Uh, Venus is the morning star. Lucifer in Latin, which is a Latin word, it means light bearer. Mm-hmm. So I, I see Lucifer as the light. And I think that um, 
like like Venus is itself the 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 the, the wandering star of Venus is associated with um, uh, lust and a lot of uh, uh, sexual things a lot sexual energy um, and I, I I think that Satan is a different entity than Lucifer yes uh, that Satan is really Saturn set um, and Satan would be um, the shadow and then Lucifer is the light the light is sexuality or or really um, lust temptation because you know you have no God in this universe you have no guide in this universe you have you are your God you are your own guide you never have any sort of of, of light to show you the way of where to go but at all times no matter when, no matter what, you have a guide showing you what not to do, and that's temptation. Whether it's it's um, uh, um, doing drugs that you have a bad idea, sex, or or you know having a midnight snack of some Oreos, like it's it's it, when you have that urge, you're being shown the way of what not to do. You'll never have an example of what to do all the time, but you always have the example. Of what not to do, and that's Lucifer the light. Um, it, it kind of expounding on that a little bit more, I think that Genesis four, I'm sorry, not Genesis four, Genesis uh, one four, um, uh, the whole the fall with with Adam and Eve and the serpent. I think that the serpent is the allegory for um, for Venus teaching uh, humanity um, uh, sex magic as a means of enlightenment. Um, this kind of expounding that sexual sexuality sexual energy for enlightenment idea a bit more um it's uh um we see that that um uh serpents are associated with with plenty of, of feminine uh fertility goddesses and um the uh, the main point that we see the serpent with kundalini in india um and and we know india's history with tantra um Basically, what I'm trying to get across is I'm, I'm I think that the uh, the whole interaction between ser- the serpent or the light bearer and Adam and Eve or humanity is the Venus energy teaching us sex magic, how to achieve psychedelic states of mind through sexual activity. Um, the, this is Indian tantra. It's it's the same thing in Gnosticism. Just it's sex magic, and that Genesis one four that that serpent uh, story uh, of the fall of man isn't really the fall of man. It's uh, it's uh, an, an esoteric story of the understanding of, of sex magic. Um, I come from the perspective that I think that when Moses and, and the Israelites left Egypt, that they took um, pretty much their understandings from Egypt and that the uh, uh, the books of the Old Testament or Torah were recorded to get the masses to be scared of the mysteries that they learned from Egypt while having a, a way to teach it to themselves. Um, it, they framed Yahweh or, or the Creator God as, as Set, um, which is who they, who, who they picked up Set worship from Egypt. And they framed Yahweh, the Creator God, as... as as Saturn, but not Saturn. 
um, and its adversary as Lucifer. Um, and even like the chronology of it is designed, like how it has, uh, like how in, in the book of Genesis it mentions, uh, it references the book of Enoch. It's like, oh yeah, some watchers came down from the heavens and they took some, some bitches as wives and, and that was pretty crazy. And they made some Nephilim, like not giants. And it goes over like three sentences and then never mentions it again. It's like, <laughs> wait, what the fuck was that shit? Yeah, can we go back to that? <laughs> um, and so I, I, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is I'm thinking that those old Hebrew stories are basically ways to because uh, when it's really hard, like like Samyaza or yeah, Samyaza is how you say it is. I'm pretty sure uh, in the Book of Enoch is the chief um, uh, rebellious angel that led the other angels against God and down to heaven to have sex with women. And Samyaza's motivation is is fucking bitches, seriously. And uh, like every Greek mythology with Zeus happens because Zeus had sex with somebody. Like it always gets started because Zeus is doing something promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard not to draw. And, and Zeus, Zeus is the king of the gods and, and Samyaza is the, is the archangel, is the chief of the rebellious angels. So it's really hard not to draw a connection between Zeus and the, 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 in the Hebrew mythology, the, the angel that rebelled against Yahweh. And in Greek mythology, we know that Zeus rebelled against his father, Kronos, um, uh, Saturn, the titan who uh, uh, ate his children. Zeus was the last born, and he cut his, uh, his uh, three uh, siblings out of, of Kronos' stomach and rebelled against his father and then created his own kingdom. And I'm, I, I can't help but see the parallels between like the Book of Enoch story and, and that early Greek mythology story. And I'm thinking that... that the early Israelites made these sort of uh, uh, texts to frame the old mysteries of the pagans into uh, evil stuff because they just like like makeup came from Egypt. It describes uh, uh, in the, the 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 Book of Enoch uh, um, uh, makeup being one of the things that the fallen angels taught humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really do think that it was it was designed to. To make the Hindu, because now today you talk about Gnosticism, you talk about Kundalini Yoga, you talk about sex magic, you talk about uh, Tantra and uh, uh, tarot and meditation and all these sort of things. Most Orthodox Christians are like, that's demonology, that's demon worship. Like y'all, y'all doing works with the devil, and I think that was the intention from the jump with a lot of the Abrahamic religion was to frame Saturn as the Most High Creator God. And demonize all of the other mystery traditions of the old pagan world while uh, retaining them in an esoteric way for themselves. Mm. That was a rather big tangent coming out of it because the most the the you're kind of explaining the idea because yeah. some people look at, at 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 the whole Satan thing as it's. Lucifer, the angel, and then once it's cast out of heaven, it becomes Satan, the god of, of the underworld. When they're the very different. Yeah, and and I, I take the approach that they're just two different entities. Yeah, um, that's what this guy E.A. E. A. Coetting says. Um, he's like a practicing occultist, and he works a lot with demons and stuff like that. And he said that Satan and Lucifer are actually different entities, which was the first time that I had ever heard that. But, um, 
I, I do think that there are differences in the entities, though. Like, so there, there is Satan, and there's Lucifer, but then there's also Belial, and then there's Baphomet, and then there's... Uh, Abraxas. Abraxas, and, and so I, I do kind of think sometimes where... Like, Tracy Twyman, when she was writing her Baphomet book, she was summoning Baphomet a lot and, like, consoling that entity for information on how to write the book. And, um, I, I said in my podcast with Miguel Connor of Aeon Bite, I was like, well, an entity came to that name. And so, is it so much where the names matter, or just the energy that you're conjuring by using the name? Well, that's a damn good point, and very, very. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because uh, like from the Jungian said, Young, Young understood like he talked about the the archetypes, and he understood the uh, archetypes as the archons of the Gnostic sense, the spirits that rule the world, and he understood the archetypes as. Um, uh, I'll use an example like the mother archetype is this archetype that exists in the collective subconsciousness all of our subconscious mind and the impulses and instincts that drive a mother after having a child she embodies this mother archetype so she meets it on its level she becomes a mother and so the instincts and impulses come from the subconscious part of her mind that is the mother archetype and there are, I think, 12 or 13 base ones, but Jung describes how, how they're really unlimited because, like, the hero is an archetype, but uh, you can have different kinds of heroes. You can have an anti-hero, you could have a, a pure heroic hero, and you could have uh, you know, all these sorts of different variations on those. Um, and so um, what Jung described the archetypes as was sentient thought patterns. Which that's when it gets fucking creepy. That idea mm. that this mother archetype isn't necessarily conscious, but is has awareness. Um, I think that point I brought up earlier is very relevant of, of human conscious be, human consciousness being unique. It's aware awareness. I don't th- the the gods Hermes, uh, Zeus, all uh, whatever you want to call them. All these different entities are all forces of nature. And they act subconsciously. They don't. They don't consciously decide. They don't use rationality in their decisions. They are energies, and energies do what energies do because energies do it. You can't like like lightning doesn't have to think about behaving like lightning. It's not conscious of that. It's subconscious. It just does. Just like animals don't think about. Uh, they don't rationalize about how to go catch the gazelle. They just go fucking do it. Uh, and it's come from instincts and impulses. And essentially, uh, the gods, the, 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 the whatever kind, the gods, the, the angels, the demons, all of them are thought patterns. They are forces of nature that exist outside of us and within us. And by, by matching their vibration, we can commune with these forces. So that's where, like, like Crowley, Crowley's work talked about how, like, it, it different, like, arrangements and ratios of men and women will, um, will, 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 will conjure 
different entities. And the idea is because two women together is a lot different of an energy than two, women, two men together. There's just a lot different energy than a man and a woman together. And so by, by enacting these things out, by, 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 by embodying them, we, we, we conjure them from our own subconscious into the, the manifest world. Um, that's really the, uh, the, more, the more Gnostic way of looking about how, what's going on in magic, the more hermetic way of what's going on in magic, because the Neoplatonists thought that you're always summoning down these forces from the heavens, when really it's, that's not what's going on. These things are coming from within us. All this stuff is happening from within, then out, not out, then within, or from above, then below. It's really in the now. Um, everything, everything is being projected, whether it's some sort of uh, basic experience you're having or a, a dream or um, uh, some sort of a paranormal um, experience that you're having. It's it's um, it's is in fact a projection from the subconscious mind out to your conscious mind. As the same, the same thing with psychedelics. You, they're like Daytura Nightshade is a is a um, is a psychedelic plant that um, look, look up <laughs> people's experience with with Nightshade or, or Daytura. It is a very interesting thing. It basically makes you have a nightmare, it, and it, and it is a very unique psychedelic because. It is one of the only ones that makes you see things that are not there. Acid and mushrooms won't make you see things that aren't there. They'll just distort and manipulate what is there. Um, maybe there'll, there'll be patterns and whatnot, but uh, there certainly won't be things that are not there. When you are tripping on Daytura, you'll walk into your living room and see your murdered parents on the couch. Like, what the fuck? Uh, Dude, you gotta send me a text <laughs> with that. I gotta look up those experiences. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, it, it's it's very wild. But the whole point is, it's 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 your shadow being brought out. It's your deepest, darkest fears and anxieties and, and all that sort of your deepest, darkest desires, fears and anxieties, all being brought to the surface in such a way you're seeing it in front of your very eyes, <laughs> and that's magic. That's it's it's the you're you're getting into these states of mind through. Through communing with, uh, through, through through interacting with with a partner or with multiple partners, uh, it's 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 achieving it's stimulation to achieve a certain state of mind where you're perceiving things a certain way. Um, that's magic and that's psychedelics. That's why it really got me into uh, uh, Jungian psychology and Thelema and uh, 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 Hermeticism and Gnosticism was doing psychedelics, listening to Terence McKenna. <laughs> and you talked about the 13 archetypes and you know i immediately think of jesus and the 12 disciples and then also there's 13 rites in the scottish or the the york rite of freemasonry and then obviously scottish being 33 but 12 cranial nerves and then the pineal gland which is like the cranial nerves are what or do all the operate all the motor functions in the body, mm. and so that's all the physical. And then you have the pineal gland, which is the the source of the of the awareness of there are the aware awareness, the consciousness, uh, which governs the other uh, cranial nerves. Damn, that's some real shit right there. Right. Jesus and the twelve disciples, pineal gland. And Jesus the 12. is the pineal gland, the twelve cranial nerve of the disciples. Wow. Yeah. Shit, that's that's a topic, right? So, 
What else should we touch on? Um, I guess it's worth bringing up since we just did uh, kind of the, the concept of the, the Gnostic Jesus versus the Christian Jesus. Um, there's a lot of different understandings of the Gnostic Jesus. There's the doctrine of Doicism. Not every Gnostic is a Doicist and not every Doicist. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but uh, it's the, the doctrine, the idea that Jesus came as a spirit. He was never born into the flesh, that it was just a essentially a projection that was here. Um, a lot of Gnostics take that understanding. A lot of Gnostics take the understanding that Jesus was a historical figure, but he was a magician. Um, that the miracles were him uh, doing certain different sorts of uh, uh, hermetic and alchemist magic. Um, the big point is the first mention of Jesus comes from like 80 AD, and it doesn't mention Jesus, doesn't mention Jesus Christ. It mentions a Christ in Rome, uh, and or, or, or a Christ. I forget if it says a Christ in Rome or a Christ in Jerusalem. It mentions a Christ somewhere, but it, it specifically says a Christ, implying plurality, kind of like how Buddha means enlightened one, and Buddhists call each other Buddha. So the early Christians probably did a very similar thing, called each other Christ, understood Christ as the self, and um, uh, uh, referred to each other as such. Uh, and that's where this mention in 80 AD from this Roman scholar of, of a Christ um, comes from. But other than that, it's not mentioned until the, 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 the books of the New Testament are said to come from, which are you know, the 100s and 200s, compiled in 235 AD in the Council of Nicaea under Constantine. Um, a when, Christ and not the Christ. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So very particular language. Yeah. And so um, the, uh, um, well, in my opinion, what most likely what happened was, and and Ian uh, um, Bagnastic Radio has, a, has an episode or two about this, but I, this is the theory I go with the Jews. I think it was, in fact, I, they, Rome and the Council of Nicaea 23 ID compiled uh, a new religion based on Sethianism, a form of Gnosticism, and created the story of Jesus as the new savior spirit instead of Seth it's going to be Christ and they based the life of Christ off of Simon Magus um, who is a historical figure he was written about there is records about him yeah and um, he uh, uh, there a lot of, lot of parallels to Jesus's story other than the miracles being done um, Simon Magus was said to have a uh, a, a slave or he a, uh, that he, he had bought or really freed is the more accurate term and he um, basically he, he she was his wife and um, she was she would she would uh, do ritual I'm pretty sure uh, if I recall correctly um, the Clementine the Clementines uh, the Clementines uh, monks said that Simon Magus's wife or whatever um, anointed John the Baptist five that if I recall that correctly the Aeon Bite Gnostic Radio episode on Simon Magus being Jesus brought that up I don't remember it correct, er, completely um, but uh, um, she she was very respected she wasn't just some slave girl as, as a lot of Christians try portraying her um, as she was a slave that was freed and stuck with Simon Magus throughout his uh, his exploits um, the, uh, uh, the the big similarity there is with Jesus and Mary Magdalene 
uh, Mary Mag, like different uh, apocryphal texts, she's referred to as you know the the, the favorite disciple of Jesus, and um, it it it's implied in plenty of texts they have a special relationship, uh, and um, it's kind of very similar to the whole Simon Magus and I forget the I forget uh, his wife's name, um, but Simon Magus was a, a, a Samaritan, which was the. Uh, uh, they were basically cousins to the Hebrews or Jews. Um, they were they were genetically Jews that stayed in Babylon when the Jews were exiled, um, and so they worshipped Mars. They were pagans, and today you see um, the remnants of paganism in modern Christianity with Easter and Ishtar and. Uh, uh, Christmas and, and all of its its pagan symbology with the world tree and and all these sorts of things um, Saturnalia Saturnalia exactly yeah. uh, it's it's literally just Saturnalia Rome went from you know Saturn and Jupiter worship to Saturn worship behind closed doors and then Jesus worship behind open doors um, and uh, this that's the roots of uh, a lot of these pagan traditions in there unfortunately today Christians and people start to you know realize we've been lied to a lot of, about a lot of stuff and they'll they'll look at the pagan stuff as if it's the bad stuff and the Christian stuff as if it's the good stuff and in my opinion it's the exact reverse they've demonized all the pagan shit in the Bible to um, create a slave religion for the masses to, to have this Jesus worship where that's where I totally resonate with, with, with Crowley's direction of Gnosticism, making it very pagan instead of Christian, because we, we've been spooked the fuck out by <laughs> Orthodox Christianity for at least a millennia now. And um, it has dominated the, the, the thought process of humanity uh, for far, far too long. The Gnostic texts, the main themes are, are knowledge and ignorance, where the, the Christian New Testament one is is sin and forgiveness, and we've been turned into total slaves with this whole sin and forgiveness um, doctrine that they built, and um, it's uh, it, 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 it's what's kind of off-putting to me about the uh, the more Christian brands of Gnosticism. Uh, I, I used to consider myself more Christian Gnostic than anything, but mm -hmm. Gnostic is Hermetic. It's pagan. It's 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 it, it has its roots with Christianity, or uh, Christianity has its roots with Gnosticism, I should say. Um, but uh, Gnosticism has its roots with Kabbalah, which has its roots in Egypt. It has Gnosticism has its roots in Hermeticism, which has its roots in Egypt, um, and uh, uh, Samaritanism, which uh, is, is really from Babylon. But Babylon and Egypt were very, very similar. Uh, civilizations pretty much Babylon uh, India and, and, and Kemet were one big trade community and spiritual uh, uh, nation in the sense that they all had the same like like how Christendom is is one thought across different nations it was kind of like that with Babylon India and Egypt back in before Alexander the Great um, and uh so yeah, that's that's a uh, interesting thing that that uh, listeners can definitely go uh, look into more now. These different understandings of the historical Jesus versus um, did they just make them up two hundred years later? 
in the Council of Nicaea. Mm, that's really interesting. And um, John Brisson, who I had on the podcast, he um, he was like, I'll debate Miguel Connor about Gnosticism up and down because he used to be himself a Christian Gnostic. And he's like, a lot of the Gnostic texts were... Uh, found in the Nagamati library, which there was a lot of Rockefeller money behind. So he's kind of, I think he was implying that I don't want to bastardize his argument. I'd very much like to have Miguel on and John on and watch them hash it out. Um, But that there was a lot of Rockefeller money behind the Nagamati library with all the Gnostic texts. So it was like yet another deception or leading us astray in a different path but when you analyze you know the council of nicaea and all of these other things just it being another rockefeller deception seems like a stretch yeah i mean especially with the contradictions that it has to um the the new testament understanding it's it's to me, I, I see what, what they're saying in the Nagamati uh, codexes is, is pretty much just what all the fucking Masons and Rosicrucians and, and everybody, the, the Catholics, the Jesuits, have been teaching behind closed doors. And just because they understand these things doesn't mean that they're evil. They're keeping the, it from you for a reason. They have their secret societies with, with, the, with their initiations, their complex hierarchies, to keep the knowledge from getting out for a reason because it is empowering stuff. And when we have our fear of, of that, then, and not to, I'm, I'm very interested to see this connection with um, uh, Rockefeller's and Nagamati Codex, because I've never heard that angle. I've been waiting to have, I'm, I, I knew some of some point, yeah. I, I'd hear that, but uh, um, I, uh, yeah, I definitely want to hear more of those arguments, because there's, there was more than just Gnostic stuff found in Nagamati Codex, like they found a copy of Plato's Republic in Nagamati Codex, so that could have been thrown in there just to legitimize the whole thing, um, or to legitimize it more. But but um, it's definitely worth noting uh, that it wasn't just really Gnostic stuff, and then there was there was uh, uh, you know straight pagan Platonic stuff in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it just seemed, I mean the the story the story makes a lot of sense at the very least. I'm not I don't I don't act like any of these texts or, or any sort of of um, uh, objective writing, even when it is the, uh, the historical shit, um, it just makes a whole lot of fucking sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. And something we were touching on earlier, uh, like, do you believe in apotheosis or man becoming God? Like, is that achievable? Uh, I, I do think so in the Hindu sense that we can go, that I think there are multiple different planes of reality. Like the Hindus talk, they said that this world is special because, uh, it's kind of like, it's, it's all balance here that like, like we're special, like, like you're in the perfect point to where there's enough good in life and enough bad in life to where you could want more than, than, uh, just the good and, and, and the bad where like, like, uh, the gods who live in the, the more higher planes, they have, uh, it's pretty much just eternal bliss. They have no reason to want to achieve mutki or or, or, sam, or get to samsara, like achieve or get out of samsara, achieve liberation from from the cycle of incarnation. Um, there's no reason that the gods would want to do that because it's pure bliss. 
they say that the Hindus how they, the animals were, or, or don't have the 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 rationality to to put um, the thought patterns into you know existence to to achieve these sort of um, liberation. Um, so I, I look at you know Buddhist Nirvana, um, Hindu Mutki, and um, Gnostic salvation is kind of like the same thing, which it's reuniting with the Godhead, the the Monad, the supreme being, the One, not the God of Good, not the God of Evil, not not we're talking the One, the source of everything. Abraxas. Uh, well, well, this is where it, it, it is a huge debate, really, whether or not Abraxas is the monad or or really like I I, he, I certainly don't think he's the monad whether or not he's what is known as an aeon or a, or, or the chief demiurge is really the debate some people look at, at Abraxas as the creator of the world that even Saturn like like they, they kind of portray Yahweh as the creator of the world in the Old Testament where um, uh, Yahweh being Saturn I don't think Saturn created the world I think that it was this is the Basilides. There's so many different Gnostic systems. The Gnostic system of Basilides explains that um, that Abraxas is the chief archon, and that Abraxas is the force of causation, the, the collective sum of all opposites. It's basically the manifestation of the Pleroma, and it uh, it is the force that 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 cycles people into this uh, this this incarnation loop. Um, Jung talks about it. Jung seems to to take that same stance too. That he's that that Abraxas is the demiurge. Um, other Gnostics take the stance that that Abraxas isn't the demiurge. He didn't create the world, but he's just an an eon that he's equal to. So that he's really Sophia's counterpart. Um, so there's different. There, there's the, the debate among um, Abraxas in that sense. Um, I, I, I certainly don't think I don't think many people I've never heard anyone say that Abraxas is 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 the monad, um, the god above God. Well, well, there there he is the god above God, but there's a god above God above God in that sense. Where there's there's Abraxas, which is like there's the pleroma, which is the Greek word for fullness. It is the, it is the collective sum of all opposites. It is the realm of the Godhead, and there are different layers of the pleroma essentially and the innermost layer is just singularity but then as you get outwards there's different emanations or spirits or what's known as aeons that come from uh the singularity the monad and they come in dual pairs and abraxas in some systems is said to be an aeon that exists within the pleroma and that certain rituals were were paying homage to or were, were resonating with abraxas and using that force, which has its origin in the Pleroma, where other people say that, other Gnostics explain that, um, that Abraxas is really just um, uh, the chief demiurge, the force that creates the world and existence as we know it. And that's where I lean more towards. I think Abraxas is probably the chief demiurge. I doubt Saturn or Set <laughs> created existence. <laughs> um, it, it, it seems to me that Saturn is, 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 is the shadow, the god of evil. Apollo, or the god of light, is the god of good. And uh, then there's this god above gods that created the world, that is the Demiurge. And then there is the god above that god, which is the, the godhead, the supreme being, the one. 
We are all the which is mind itself. We're all existing in the Godhead, uh, and the Godhead exists within all of us. And um, uh, that's that's more or less the Basilides' um, uh, understanding of, of of the universe, like because like other Gnostics will understand differently, but. Uh, that's what Jung uh, really came, that's perspective he came from. That's really what, what I lean towards the most with, in regards to that. Um, so one of the common criticisms of the, of apotheosis and man becoming God yeah. is, um, you know, all of these occultist practitioners who have, you know, from what they have said, you know, they had achieved godhood or enlightenment or whatever, and then they die in a hospital bed pissing and shitting themselves <laughs> and you know like the supposed person who achieved enlightenment and godhood is now you know sniveling in their hospital bed withering away well i think that they're the the main point is that i was trying to get there forgot to get to is is there are different like aspects of apotheosis to me apotheosis just means not reincarnating here but reincarnating somewhere else so whether you reincarnate in a higher plane of existence with the Hindu gods and it's all this pure bliss all the time, or whether it's um, uh, you incarnate into, um, or are you, I should say you don't incarnate again. You just become one with the monad, become one with, with the Godhead itself. Um, that is also a sense of apotheosis. You're changing your perspective from, from your subjective view to the objective view of everything that's happening at once. Um, and so, so that's a form of apotheosis. I think that, that there probably is, you know, like basically like astral planes where you could reincarnate and probably is lesser heavens where it is more good and, or, 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 or I should say more things we associate with good and less things we associate with evil. There are probably planes where there's more, uh, um, uh, things that we call not so much fire and brimstone. They probably still got mansions. Just the you know the, the energies are a little bit different. What if this is heaven? What if this is what we've been trying to get to? Well, I kind of take the respect, the obvious perspective that this is hell. This, this, this is lowest hell. plane that there is no there is nothing worse than this. Like. But like that that's <laughs> the Agent Smith quote in the Matrix where he's like, "We tried beauty and bliss and making a perfect society. You fucking hated it." <laughs> so we gave you this, and now it seems like there's more coherence in society. So it's like there's also beauty in the struggle. Yeah. Like I, I my whole life I hate people telling me what to do, yeah. and then so now with the mask stuff, it's like this was it's almost like this was retrofitted for someone <laughs> like me. You know, like right. like in, for my mind, like if. We all have like our own realities or whatever. Like this was the reality for me, where right. I can I can fight the system actively. I can walk in AGB <laughs> without my mask and be like, yeah, fucking say something. Right. And so it almost seems like, well, this is what Ryan wants. You know, he he has this uh, inability to conform with the rest of society, and so we're gonna give him a fucking pandemic and all of this technocratic control <laughs> so he can fight it. That's what he wants to do. <laughs> no, I definitely resonate with that as well. Um, and uh, I definitely think there's something there, just even from the Jungian um, psychology sense of, of uh, from everything being mine and all being a manifestation of the subconscious. Like, it's, it's kind of the... Uh, the, 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 your deepest desires 
in one way or another, whether uh, they scare you or whether you you want them or, or you want nothing else than them, uh, will will be manifested in one way or another. Um, so that's kind of a similar way of looking at it. But I think that's a two way street. I think it can be a it can be a, a, a the most you know as darkest you know depraved uh, uh, miserable experience. Um, or it can be a, uh, a very beautiful one. But even then, in the sense of uh, this being the lowest realm of hell or whatever, like if this is really hell, mm-hmm. like it doesn't make any sense for me to hell to present its, for hell to present itself like hell. Like if hell, if hell is real, it'd be exactly like this, where you would, you would be most tormented, you would be most, uh, um, uh, 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 punished if you thought that uh, there was there was good and you thought there was some sort of of, of uh, divine plan happening for you there. Um, all, like the, the, another way of looking at it is the ultimate evil, the greatest evil in the world, would never present itself as the ultimate evil. It's going to present itself as as self-sustainable, as green. It's going to present itself as the most ultimate evil is going to present itself as as uh, a vaccine. inclusive as <laughs> as a vaccine, exactly yeah. something for good for you, um, and I think that same concept would apply in a metaphysical sense to hell if it exists. <laughs> mm, right. Oh man. So yeah, I think I think we already touched on that and like ascending and descending. So there is no dissension from here. I, 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 I don't really think so. I think it's it's pretty much just a cycle of incarnation on this world. And there are um, higher planes. There's, there's at, You could look at like, like the layers of the atmosphere are metaphysical planes of reality. A lot of people describe it like that. I kind of lean towards that understanding. Um, but I don't think that these atmospheric planes are the highest... Heavens, I understand the the Gnostic sense of the paroma of, of the fullness. There being this this plane, this this kind of universe that is the collective sum of all opposites. That's the source of all existence, um, and that can't be a plane of all bliss. That can't be a place of all good. It has to be balanced out. It has to be. It has to have the most lightest light and the most darkest dark. It has to have. The most um, uh, you know extreme heat and the most extreme cold. It has to be all of that in one, which would just really cancel everything out, and it'd just be beingness. Um, uh, uh, for for anyone listening, the uh, uh, anything more is it deepest. In my opinion, the way to uh, deeply uh, to deeply understand the the Gnostic concept of the Paroma is the Seven Sermons to the Dead, specifically Young's first sermon and second sermon that he the seven sermons that everybody call young um a lot of people have different understandings of it i truly think he was channeling spirits of the past when he wrote it he in, in the seven black books for his journals which where the seven sermons to the dead came from he describes all this paranormal shit happening to him spirits attacking him and scaring him and saying that we want your blood and all this shit and then um like how he wrote, how he started the seven black books is with uh, uh, a question to himself. He started to think that all his psychology stuff was spooks, that it all didn't exist, and he wanted some sort of uh, 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 um, uh, experience, like internal experience, to try and uh, 
uh, really understand everything he was teaching. And um, so he started journaling. He wrote to himself, my soul, my soul, where are you? And uh, that was how the Seven Black Books started. There was journals of the course about 10 years, but at some point through it, he starts having some pretty freaky shit happening to him. He described him getting attacked by spirits, basically. And um, he, uh, he, he, said, he says that uh, uh, he, he asked his soul, like, why are you sending this torment to me? Like, why are you sending these spirits that want my blood to me? Like, what do I do? What should I do? And this voice that came from inside of him, which is what he perceived as his soul, told him to, to give up or something along those lines. And so that's when he, he said he gave up. He had all these spirits that were essentially attacking him. He let him in. And um, that's where uh, uh, the sevens, because he, he writes that he asked, he asked them, what do you want? And the spirits, the, the spirits of the dead reply, we want your light. Talking about his consciousness, we want your awareness, because the dead are just acting on on impulse. Spirits are acting on on subconsciousness. We're human, the living humans, are the only beings in the world that have awareness, that have light, have aware awareness. And uh, so he let he let these spirits into his consciousness and to use his awareness to channel their understandings of the past. And this is where Young wrote the Seven Sermons to the Dead. And uh, he, he, he wrote it under the name Basilides, that Gnostic I mentioned before. Um, and uh, a lot of people's interpretation of the Seven Sermons to the Dead before the Black Books came out was that Jung was saying this to the past. He was trying to write to the past, like this is how it really is. But in reality, this was the past speaking to him through the, by way of the fucking dead. Um, coming into his his, uh, his his experience in what you would describe paranormal paranormally mm-hmm. um, so uh, it's, it's like Alistair Crowley allegedly wrote the book of the law cha- channeling this the spirit um, and it's no different with uh, with young and the seven sermons to the dead and uh, this the relevancy in what we we're just saying is is uh, a beautiful description of Abraxas and humanity and life and specifically what I was talking about was the Paroma is in the seven sermons to the dead and uh, it's I think definitely a, a, a must listen for anybody trying to understand these metaphysical concepts um, at least at least once there's an audiobook on YouTube you know put that audiobook on fucking replay <laughs> wow. do you have any magical practices uh, well, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm much of a hermit myself, so anything I do is, is, uh, uh, is done in, um, uh, 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 is done solitarily. Um, really, the only thing that I do consistently is I say will before I eat. It's, um, it's, it's, it's meant for a group, but it can be done by yourself. It's something Crowley wrote about. Of, of uh, uh, it, it basically you, uh, you knock um, uh, three times. Then you knock five times, then you knock three times. It's best to do it on wood, um, but um, it's that's why they say knock on wood. Absolutely, it was, it's an ancient tradition for good luck. Uh, Germanic tribes would knock on trees um, to to channel the forest spirits for for protection and guidance and for good fortune. Uh, so when you say knock on wood, it comes from you, you, this concept. You're channeling the nature for the forces of nature to. To give you uh, a good fortune. Wow. And um, uh, so that's where the knock on wood thing comes from. Yeah. And Why so this three, is where, five, three? So the three, five, three, it adds to 11. And it's the only way to get to 11 in a balanced way. Like you could have the four and seven. Number, right? 
Yeah, it's it's it symbolizes the uh, the, the, the the duality and um, uh, like cause it's 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 both ones, but it's it equals two, of course, um, and it's two ones, and um, so it's the only way to get to eleven in a balanced way. Like you could have four and seven, which equals eleven, but it's the only way to get to eleven in a balanced way is three, five, and three, mm. and so you do that, and that becomes relevant for the very end. Well, then you just say, um, uh, um, do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Um, uh, it is my will to eat and to drink, so I may fortify my body thereby, so that I may accomplish the great work. Love is the law, love under will. And then you knock once. So the knocking of the once is, you started with the 353, three, which is 11 or 2, the duality, then you end it with the one because it symbolizes the great work. The purpose of this ritual is to um, uh, um, solidify, make real your intentions in this universe. My intention, people think that do as thou wilt is like a hedonist thing. It's not about just do, going with your impulses. It's about achieving your great work, becoming a, a which is the great work or, or opus magnum is just another word for um, uh, Jungian individuation it's what the alchemist talked about of turning lead to gold. It's making two into one. It's about merging the subconscious parts of the mind with the conscious parts of the mind, making a new, complete mind. Um, it's that's the great work is making two one. It's that's what making lead to gold really is. It's merging the conscious and subconscious parts of the mind. And so, by by saying this is your will before every meal, um, you are 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 collapsing the waveform on your own subjective purpose. I don't believe part of nihilism is is not believing in any sort of objective meaning in reality. I don't believe that we're here to enact God's plan so we can understand that He loves us so we can get into heaven. I don't believe in any of that. I think that that the universe is a result of causation, just in a metaphysical way, um, and you're free to do whatever you want. You're free to make whatever purpose you could possibly have. And um, uh, some of us choose to have the purpose of, of becoming a whole self, becoming a true individual, of, of merging all the different aspects of self. Not embodying the yin, not embodying the yang, but becoming the yin-yang. And uh, that's what the alchemists were trying to do. And uh, that's the goal of Thelema. Whether or not Crowley was a good guy, um, the, 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 his, 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 his work in, in explaining alchemy and... The, um, the the mysteries of the universe in in his own way um, uh, really honestly going against the the tradition that the people who have been practicing these sorts of things have had for generations at that point he was he was spilling all the motherfucking beans and um, uh, uh, it's 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 the the the, the science behind uh, Thelema that is where the value is because it's again it's just another way to understand the alchemical process or individuation which i think is not the purpose of life but is definitely that's something that uh, is 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 very um beneficial to oneself to do <laughs> mm. and so you touched on nihilism there uh do you want to explain your views yeah so so 
Renzo Novatore was an individualist anarchist in uh, Italy um, before uh, or he, he died like literally the month Mussolini rose to power. Um, it was, uh, um, he was he was a, what's known as an illegalist, somebody who um, uh, uh, advocated breaking the law uh, as a means to achieve freedom and anarchy. Hell yeah! Uh, so he was a bandit. He they was they was robbing banks. They was they was they was hitting you know they was they was just stealing shit, and uh, <laughs> they were hitting mad licks. And he died in a shootout with the Italian military police. Uh, on his body, they found uh, a cyanide capsule. He was he was he was not going to any cage. He was not he was not ready to let himself be put in a cage. He was way too free for that. He was going to eat a cyanide pill before getting into a cage, and um, he, he he referred to himself as a nihilist, and um, uh, he um, he didn't have the traditional understanding of uh, what nihilism is in its most uh, specific sense when you ask people or Google today. Um, he, such as myself, um, understood it from its etymological sense. Um, he said that he is um, an individual. I have the quote here. One moment. Uh, let me get the load. Renzo Novatore said that he is. Oh, that's right. He is a. He is an uh, anarchist because he is an individualist. He is an individualist because he is a nihilist. And then he said he understood uh, nihilism in his own sense. To him, nihilism means negation. That's what its etymology is. It just means negation. Renzo Novatore said negation of every cult, of every religion, of every rule, and of every society. So a nihilist is somebody who actively or from my understanding, nihilist is somebody who actively tries to go out and destroy these social constructs that act upon as rulers, or as I like to say, false gods in people's minds. They deify these concepts, these these ideas, and somebody who actively um, tries to destroy them is um, is a nihilist. And we do this not for any moral greater good. Those are parts of the ideas we're trying to destroy. We do this because it pleases us. Nihilists like destroying these spooks, not because we, we, we feel we have to or we should, but because it's fun. It's, nihilism doesn't just mean depressed, um, uh, edgy team. <laughs> That's what mm. the connotation of it is today. Uh, the most um, fun-loving... Uh, free people are nihilists. And, uh, I think of the Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski. I'm not familiar. I'm pro. Oh, oh, yeah. It's it's a hilarious movie, and there's this scene, um, like someone robs the house or whatever, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I think I know that guy. He's a nihilist." And like, <gasps> like, like a gas, like a nihilist. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, then, so that's kind of like what I think of when you when you say nihilist. Yeah, and and there is uh, uh, something there because like like Nietzsche, who admitted in later on in his life finally that he was a nihilist for a while, he kind of denied it or never admitted it at least. Um, but he one of the he, his biggest critiques was on Christianity and nihilism, 
in the sense that he, he said that, that God is dead. What he meant by that was that the Christian understanding of God is dead, that we don't, nobody really believes in that, in that shit anymore. And um, so uh, how is the world going to cope with the understanding that the, 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 moral, the, the foundation for all their morals and, and views of the universe is just a bunch of bullshit? How is the world going to cope with that? And he talked about how most people are just going to fall into um, a sense of nihilism where nothing matters and they should just like life is worthless and meaningless because um, uh, we were wrong about what gave us meaning. And this is where Nietzsche um, uh, um, stressed the importance of, of, of not renouncing life, renouncing the, the, the moral systems and, and, uh, 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 spooks that have given us false meaning because um, it's 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 elucidatory and what 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 should be exalted, which should be um, uh, put on a pedestal, is existence itself, is life itself. Nihilists don't hate life, they don't hate existence. They hate and we hate the the things that that. Um, that limit life, that limit existence. And those are spooks. Those are the social constructs. And so, again, a nihilist is some of the, like, you know, the most funny people in the world, the most uh, fun-loving people in the world are nihilists. It's because we exalt uh, the, um, the, 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 um, the we, we exalt life and not, you know, the ideas that come up out of life. So there's nihilism in conspiracy theory. Conspiracy theorists, you know, debunking false narratives. Yeah, it's intrinsically connected, absolutely. Mm. And it's, it's uh, uh, a shame a lot of times people don't realize what they're doing is being hardcore nihilist when they're like, no, that's bullshit, this is bullshit, that's bullshit. Like, you're being a nihilist when you're doing that. It's, it's, it's uh, um, uh, you know, like I said, renouncing all of the, 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 the spooks that have come up out of existence putting existence itself on the pedestal. Hmm. Well, I'm sure we could go for another two, four, <laughs> six hours. So if you have any uh, final thoughts or parting words as, as we wrap it up. Um, I, I, I suppose the only thing that uh, I'd really like to, to stress to anybody is uh, uh, read Max Sterner. <laughs> is, uh, uh, there's a few different translations. Um the translation by a guy with the first name Wolfie, those seem to be the easiest to read that I've come across. Uh, some are a little bit more tricky to read than others. Um, it's it's uh, there's a lot of <laughs> most most egoists get their understanding of egoism, Max Turner's ideology from the memes, which is cool. But uh, <laughs> um, it's it's definitely important to to read what he was he was saying itself, um, not to just regurgitate what he's saying or to. To put what he was saying on some sort of pedestal, but um, he did have, uh, have some specific takes that are very thought provoking. You know what? The value isn't his thoughts. The value are in your thoughts that are going to come from reading his thoughts, and they will be valuable. Those will. Um, so, so the ego in its own or his main one. The the unique in their property is is the other main one. He has plenty of other like six other essays besides that. But uh, um, everybody. Um, uh, is kind of put off by it when they first hear it 
they hear this these sort whole uh, right of might concept and it's uh it's scary to a lot of people but we're just being realist <laughs> we're just we're just keeping it real we don't we don't like this you know like violence we don't so if an egoist likes violence it's because that is what satisfies them most egoists are egoists because they don't like bosses they don't like leaders such as myself and um uh we we are like that to me because that's what satisfies our consciousness um and uh uh so so definitely uh uh read max sterner and uh uh yeah he was way way better of a anarchist philosopher than murray rothbard i'm gonna end it off with a hot take <laughs> <laughs> fantastic well, beautiful words, and everybody, that was Roger Agora. You can follow him at uh, Gnostic. Gnostic Nihilist, yeah, Gnostic, Gnostic dot Nihilist. Nihilist. So you can follow him there on Instagram, and we'll have plenty more where that came from. I'll see you all next time.